new CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. Time to set it up! New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got him. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Monday, October 26th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle. I am very happy to be joined by Steve Hellwagon. Steve, it's great to actually talk about an Ohio State football game, not looking ahead to if we're going to have a season or talking about this or that. We can actually talk about the Buckeyes beating Nebraska 52-17 to in the season opener at the Horseshoe on Saturday. Just your overall thoughts about this game. We'll get into some specifics, but uh, your overall thoughts on how you think the Buckeyes look. Yeah, Dave. I mean, when you think about it, it was the first game Ohio State's played in almost 11 months. I mean, that is, well, I guess maybe 10 months. I don't know. My, my math is a little off. But yeah, it, it was uh, just fabulous to see Ohio State finally back out there on the field. Uh, definitely a surreal situation as I'm driving into the game. Uh, as everybody knows, they always have the hospital exit on 315 is closed. I jumped off at the hospital exit. I drove straight up Keenan Drive. I parked in my spot and, you know, no problem at all. It was like I was going to a scrimmage at Ohio Stadium back in the trestle days or something. I mean, it was it was definitely weird. Uh, we're in the closed in press box. They didn't even have the windows open. And so you really couldn't hear any noise out there. I mean, like none. You could hear a little bit of the music they were piping in at times, but uh, no, no crowd noise. So it was a completely different and surreal situation. And in terms of the game, I thought it went about the way you would figure it would go. Nebraska gave Ohio State a tremendous fight for uh, one and a half quarters. But by the end of the second quarter, Ohio State's defense really dialed in, got some critical stops right before halftime. The offense was able to take advantage of some good field position uh, once or twice. They got the field goal and the touchdown right before halftime and uh, just really slammed the door. And, of course, Ohio State had the ball to start the second half, drove down and scored as everybody knew that they were going to. And uh, then you had to believe the fumble recovery came next. And I think, uh, yeah, the fumble return by seven banks made it 38 to 14. And the game was essentially over at that point. So uh, I thought all things considered, I'd say an A minus on offense and probably a B, B plus on defense. Uh, It just took them a quarter to get their bearings. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Ryan Day was serious with his explanations after the game about the running game and the defense, but uh, it sounded plausible that, uh, you know, last year the running game didn't look very good in the opener against Florida Atlantic and it came on after that and that defensively it took them a quarter to adjust and uh, diagnose what they were seeing. And, uh, you know, I had one of my uh, top football people remark that uh, Nebraska had kind of emptied, uh, emptied all the, the trick plays and everything out at the beginning 
to get kind of a cheapy touchdown there at the beginning. But, you know, you say that, but Ohio State's got to defend the, the play too. You got to set the edge. And that entire first series, they didn't set the edge. So, uh, you know, a lot of things that you can learn and teach from off that game. Justin Fields was fantastic, unbelievable, even for his standards. 20 of 21 for 276 yards, two touchdowns. Also had 15 carries for 54 yards and a touchdown. And in college football, that includes sacks. It was more like he had like 11 carries for like 70-some yards if you take away the sacks like they do in the NFL. Um, but despite how great Justin Fields was, Steve, I think the story of the game was Haskell Garrett. I wasn't even sure if he was going to play less than two months from getting shot. Uh, had a through and through wound uh, in his mouth through both cheeks. And he didn't just play. He's out there. He didn't get the start. Antoine Jackson did. That might be a one game thing for Antoine Jackson because Haskell Garrett looked phenomenal as that three tech defensive tackle in there, just wrecking things up in there. I just, I mean, that to me, that was the story of the game. And I almost can't believe I'm saying that considering how well Justin Fields played. Yeah, I think uh, Haskell Garrett being out there was uh, a great lift, I think, for he and his teammates. And uh, Kerry Combs after the game said it was a miracle. And he said he went up and hugged him. And I think that's endemic. I mean, you, you think about the way they played the first quarter. Uh, the starters were Tyler Friday and Jonathan Cooper at defensive end. And then, as you mentioned, Antoine Jackson and Tommy Togiai at defensive tackle. I think they got better when they went to the bench and put Haskell Garrett in. And for whatever reason, Zach Harrison, who everyone outside the program views as their number one defensive end. He was the fifth defensive end that got onto the field because I think Gene Baptiste and uh, Tyreek Smith also got into the game before Zach Harrison did. And once Zach Harrison got in the game, I think that upped the level of pressure, even though he had one sack, but I think he helped, uh, you know, dial some things up. And I don't know if, if that was, again, they keep everything on such a, a tight leash over there right now if perhaps he had been injured or something, you know, was up, why he didn't play. But they got better when they put Garrett and Harrison in the game in particular. Uh, Jerron Cage did, did some nice things inside too. But just an inspiring story for Haskell Garrett. I mean, he has the first sack of the season for Ohio State. And as you said, a guy whose uh, life, you know, could have, you know, been ended tragically in that incident his football career put in doubt and uh there were questions you know whether he was ready to go or not maybe that impacted the decision that he only played probably 20 plays I would think somewhere along that line for the game but he made those plays count no doubt about it I've got a picture of him making another tackle in addition to the sack that he had and the sack was at a critical time, obviously, as uh, the Buckeyes were taking control of the game there late in the second quarter. So I agree with you 100%. And uh, Kerry Combs' comment was very poignant that he went up and gave uh, Haskell Garrett a hug and, and, and called it essentially a miracle. You mentioned the running backs earlier and just the running game in general. I mean, when Justin Fields wanted to run the ball, they, they could run the ball well, but they, there's no way you want to run him that much. That surprised me. Um, you know, again, though, I mean, when it's going to be necessary, I guess they're going to do it, but you don't want to have to do that. And the running backs, their first 10 carries combined with Teague and Sermon, they got 20 yards, averaging yeah. two yards per carry. Um, you know, and sometimes that's just going to happen. You're going to get stuffed. But what I saw that is 
really discouraging is the lack of making the first guy miss and the lack of falling forward. When Even the great running backs, even when they're getting tackled, are usually falling forward. Not everybody's going to get knocked back sometimes, even the best running backs. Uh, with Sermon especially, because um, we know what we have in Teague. Um, Sermon, I, I had not studied his game that much. I expected more out of him. He doesn't break tackles, and he doesn't fall forward. Now, it's one game, but he needs to do a better job of he gets, you know, he, he gets first contact about a half yard short of that first down. You got to get that extra half yard after contact. You know, the great backs will make the first guy miss, not just, you know, get that extra half yard. You at least got to get that extra half yard. And a lot of times you got to make the first guy miss. Great running backs make the first guy miss. Didn't see that at Trey Sermon. Small sample size, but uh, was not impressed. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think, uh, again, uh, what coach said was last year against Florida Atlantic, uh, J.K. Dobbins didn't look all that good because you used to going against certain looks on defense from your own defense, and it's hard to replicate what an opponent is going to do. Uh, obviously, uh, they've played Nebraska a few times. Uh, they play Penn State every year, and that, of course, is the next opponent. So hopefully the familiarity there, they won't be maybe caught off guard by looks or whatever. You're talking about the running styles of the running backs. And this is what struck me is that Teague almost just seems very stiff and he is not going to be nimble. He is not going to make somebody miss. He is going to take on, he's going to take on the contact and he is either going to go down there or he is going to, maybe bounce off of a guy and maybe get another yard or two, but he is not a guy that is going to get up in the hole and then make some kind of Barry Sanders lateral, you know, four feet to the right move to make some guy miss. He is a, he is, I don't know that even Raymond Harris was this stiff. I mean, you know, we talk about four yards and a cloud of dust. I mean, that, that is master TIG. If you're, in a short yardage situation or down near the goal line, he's the guy who's going to get the ball just because, you know, he can maybe power it in. And he did have a couple of touchdowns down near the goal line. Uh, Trey Sermon to me, it took him about a quarter to get warmed up. He just didn't seem to have a whole lot going for him early. And then as things kind of loosened up, you saw a little bit more athleticism out of him. And he almost, almost broke a big one. And uh, I think a guy made a shoestring tackle on him over near the Nebraska sideline. And he pounded the ball like, damn, that was my chance right there. And uh, so I'm not ready to give up on either of them just yet. I just think they're going to have their own niche and their own, uh, their own roles. And I hope what would make sense. I mean, somebody remarked that they gave it the sermon on like a third and one and didn't get it. And it's like, yeah, that, that's where Master Teague needs to go into the game and take that play. You know, if you're going to run the running back, that that's his play, not not Trey Sermons. And I think people came out on Twitter immediately and, and called that one out, like uh, he's not your short yardage guy. Um, I think that that you can win with both of them. I think you know I want to see more, and uh, I, I want to see more out of this offensive line too and uh people were like steel chambers needs to play steel chambers got into the game later when it would pretty much i don't know if it already been decided or not they were back on their own goal line and they gave it to him which was kind of a tough spot if he turned it over there but he did good he showed good burst four carries 32 yards 
and I think he gets an increased role as time goes on too, but you got to go with the guys you trust with ball security in a nut crunch type game like Penn State's going to be. And I think it's going to be Teague and Sermon. And I would agree with you on fields. He doesn't need to be running the football 15 times a game. This is kind of like JT Barrett. He'll get two carries against uh, Rutgers and Maryland and then 28 against Michigan or what, what, whatever it was that one year. So again, a big game. So uh, I don't mind fields running it as long as he gets up and hands the ball to the official and, and goes back and can run the next play. That's, that's all that matters. He's the meal ticket right now. Another thing, Dave, is he's going to throw the ball as effectively as he can. You hope they back a guy out of the box eventually to make the running game a little bit uh, easier. And those are situations they're going to have to read and diagnose as game goes on. Yeah, with this passing offense, I mean, it looks unstoppable with Justin Fields and these receivers. And the offensive line didn't play their best game, as you mentioned, um, pass pro or run blocking, but they're still a great offensive line. And I'm not giving up on the running backs, to your point. I still think that tandem will be just fine with Steel Chambers maybe getting some more run as the number three back. Um, I even thought thought, Xavier Johnson looked good as the the fourth string guy. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Just real quick, I thought two of the sacks were on Fields. I thought he held the ball way too long. I thought the one where the guy came on a delayed blitz and, and Myers just just didn't pick him up and he kind of squirted through uh, uh, late in the game, uh, later in the game, that was on the offensive line because he's got to pick that guy up. I mean, he wasn't even blocking anybody and and uh, the linebacker squirted through and, t- and tackled the quarterback. But the other two were coverage sacks, in my opinion. Those were on fields. He's got to throw the ball away or or – or make a decision or step up or something. But yeah, that's my thought. One of them, this is what I say about fields. You know, a guy is great that even the plays he doesn't make are good plays. Like his one incompletion was almost a touchdown to Olave. Yeah. It was a well-thrown yeah. ball, maybe maybe a little underthrown, but like, you know, he put it where only Olave could get it and it was a good throw um, overall. I mean, it, was it perfect? No, but it was a good throw. And that was his only incompletion. And then on one of those sacks, you're right, one of them, he definitely held the ball too long. The other one, he almost got out of there. He made one guy miss, and he just kind of slid in the pocket. He was so smooth, and he got away from another guy. And then the third guy got him. It was like he made two guys miss in the pocket. You're like, my goodness. And even that play, they got him like by a shoestring and yep. picked him up for a sack. And you're, I'm sitting there thinking – Man, even when this kid like doesn't make the play, even when he does hold on to the ball, he still almost makes a play, and, and he still looks good doing it. He is incredible. I do want to ask you about the defense before we get to Penn State. Um, your overall thoughts on Kerry Combs's, you know, I think you touched on this earlier. I think you hit on it. I think what happened was Nebraska had their set of plays that were going to work for maybe a half of football at most, uh, as a, you know, a quarter and a half of football, really. It was midway through the, the second quarter when Ohio State took control of this game. So Buckeyes are sitting there. It's 14 all. Uh, in the second quarter, but then they just went on a rampage after that. The defense only gave up three more points after that. They forced a couple turnovers. Uh, so you win the game 52-17. to 17. The Buckeyes were favored by like 27 or something like that. They win by 35. But your thoughts on how the defense played overall, Steve? Well, you know, Nebraska had 217 yards rushing, which is about, oh, 120 more than Ohio State would normally like to give up, I think. Um Luke McCaffrey had the 47-yard run, and Adrian Martinez had a 39-yard run, the two quarterbacks. Uh, and uh, McCaffrey's came on a handoff, basically, from uh, Martinez, kind of on a – I don't even know how you describe it, an end-around, a counter, I don't know. But um, well blocked, I know that. Uh, they blocked 
the outside linebacker and the defensive end perfectly. And uh, I think it was Marcus Hooker whiffed on the tackle and the kid was gone down the sideline until Browning uh, was able to recover and run him down. To his credit, it only forestalled the touchdown one play because on the next play, Martinez took a snap and I don't think anybody even knew he knew he had the football. I don't even know what that was. He just kind of rolled around right in and nobody was out there. And uh, I don't know. I think it took Kerry Combs a quarter to kind of adapt and grow into this role and Greg Madison. Uh, but once they, once they got the bearings on what Nebraska was trying to do, I mean, I don't have the breakdown uh, quarter by quarter on what the yardage was. I know that they had a couple good um, – uh, possessions maybe in the second half uh, they, they had a 72 yard drive and were held to a field goal in the uh, third quarter the two touchdown drives were 75 and 78 yards uh, but otherwise in the second half uh, they had about 160 yards I think in the second half including that 72 yard drive for a field goal that's a good second half I thought I want to see improved pressure. There was no pressure the first quarter and a half, and uh, that allowed Nebraska to move the football pretty well. I mean, Martinez was 12 of 15, but he only threw for 105 yards. So they didn't get a lot in the passing game. Uh, Sean Wade, I thought, did a good job on Wandale Robinson. He dropped a sure interception, but otherwise did pretty well. So I would give the front probably a B, the linebackers probably a B minus. Uh, terrible first quarter and a half, but pretty good last two and a half quarters. Secondary, I'd give almost an A minus. I thought they played really well on the whole. Uh, I don't know. That, those were kind of my thoughts. That's kind of how I'd break it down. And I want to see more of the impact guys up front get more of the snaps. And I didn't feel that was the case this week. For whatever reason, Larry Johnson went with uh, tried and true as opposed to uh, guys with tremendous upside. And I think what we learned is guys with tremendous upside like Zach Harrison. And again, we have no idea if he missed half a camp or we have no idea. I can't, I can't tell you why he was the fifth defensive end on the field, but my goodness, when he got in the game, he made a bit of a difference. So uh, that's an example. Haskell Garrett's an example. Not sure what's going on with Teron Vincent need to get him going. So a lot of questions, you know, and we didn't even touch on the young kids. That catch by Smith and the Jigba was my goodness. You're gonna enjoy watching that kid play for three years. Oh, you got Garrett Wilson for another whole season next year, too. He's a freak. Uh, he's unstoppable in the slot because you can't jam a guy in the slot. He gets a clean break and comes across the formation and he's wide open. You, you can't run with him, you can't jam him, and you can't run with him. And he catches everything, and he's super yeah. athletic. He can, you know, he's got like a 42 inch vertical, and it looks like it's more than that. Uh, that kid's unbelievable. Olave's fantastic. And for those wondering about Olave's status, you know, Ohio State's not going to tell us anything, but if we hear anything, we will let you guys know. But Ryan Day did seem optimistic after the game. Yeah. Chris Olave would be okay for Penn State. All right, let's uh, finish the show talking about uh, the border war, uh, the other border war. Penn State looks at Ohio State as their biggest rival. I always point this out, and Ohio State does not reciprocate, of course. We know who Ohio State's rival is. Um, but that always gets Penn State, I think, mentally ready for this game. They always come in, and, and they, they play well against Ohio State. Now, 
Uh, it does hurt Penn State. That there's no wide out. There's no fans there. But uh, Buckeyes favored by 11 and a half last time I checked. Uh, what do you expect this Saturday in Happy Valley, Steve? It was a wide out. It was a wide out and they got there smoked. Uh, <laughs> well, Penn State, they had like 400 some yards to Indiana's like 200 last week, this past Saturday. They did everything that you would possibly do to win the game, except they had a bunch of turnovers. They had 10 penalties for 100 yards. You want to talk about shooting yourself in the foot. They did everything they could to blow that game. They had the game won. There was a screenshot on Twitter, 147 to go, first down at the 15-yard line going in, and all you had to do was take a knee three times. Indiana had a timeout, but just by taking a knee with 40 seconds in between plays, the second and third down plays, you can take the clock all the way down to at least 10 seconds. And if the quarterback dances around back there, you run the entire 147 out. They made the mistake of running the football and not telling the freshman running back to go down. The freshman running back saw this big hole and he's been trained his entire life. Take that to the house. Well, he takes it in. Now, another mistake Penn State makes here is now you have a seven-point lead with 142 left. Now, you needed to go for two there because if you go for two there and you make it nine, there's no way Indiana – you have to kick the ball off. There's no way Indiana can win the game at that point. He goes for one, kicks the extra point, now it's eight. You've left the door open uh, for for Indiana to uh, force overtime, which they did. And uh, you left the door open to lose a game that you should have won. I mean, it came down to a call on the goal line, which honestly, you're split. It was the doggone closest call that I can ever recall, Dave. Seriously, I mean, that was crazy. That was as close as it could. Yeah. If the ball had touched the ground or had broken the plane, it was almost simultaneous. And the and in that case, you say, well, the call on the field was good. Why? The play went so far to the sideline, and there's no room on that sideline. You didn't even see the official. Like he had back clear up to the wall, and you couldn't even see the official on that side make a call and everyone just assumed it was good. I heck it was utter chaos. And you Penn state put themselves in position to blow that game and they blew it. And that's only on Penn state. Now here's where Franklin has some motivating factors. Ohio state's beaten them three years in a row. Two of those were by one point. And last year they thought they were in the game in the third quarter in Ohio state uh, Justin Hilliard made a big interception at the end and helped preserve that win 28 to 17. If Penn State doesn't win this game, their entire purpose of working out from January to October of playing the season, it's over. They can't win the division. They are done. And there may not even be a bowl game for them to go to. A lot of the secondary bowl games are kind of peeling off because they're realizing there's no money in it if you can't have a crowd and blah, 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 blah. So um, their whole season is on the line. So, you know, Ohio State fans may say, oh, Penn State lost. This will be an easy one. It's not going to be an easy one. It's probably going to go down to the wire or at least go to the fourth quarter probably. Ohio State opened as a 10-point favorite, which I think is just crazy. And now they're like a 12-point favorite. 
Um, Ohio State's going to play really well to cover a 12-point spread at Penn State, in my opinion. But, I mean, Penn State had over 400 yards offense. And Clifford had over 200 uh, passing and over 100 rushing. So we just saw two quarterbacks run for two 40-yard runs. So you tell me, a, guys. He had a you couple, tell me. He had a couple terrible interceptions, though, too. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I know. <clears throat> I hear you, though. I mean, Penn State's going to be no pushover. That's for sure. That's for sure. This must be the, the, be the best Indiana team in 50 years, maybe. I don't know. It could be. I don't, they haven't won the Big Ten since 1967. So this, this might be the best Indiana team in decades. So we do have to give them, I mean, they, you know, Penn state made mistakes, but Indiana all played an amazing game on defense. I thought for three quarters too. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, I'm just glad we're talking Ohio state, Penn state. I mean, that's going to be, that's just, you know, Ohio state, Nebraska was awesome. Um, yeah. Nebraska was kind of like the Buckeyes friends, not kind of like they were like, <laughs> best friends throughout this whole thing um, they were such good now, friends he punched it in at the end i think the punch in at the end was yeah. uh, a receipt for the blows to the head <laughs> oh you're going to hit our guys high i mean the one was blatant the guy headbutted our the ohio state uh, runner that was blatant um i i just think that they put that on cruise control and said well if it gets in there it gets in there and if it doesn't it doesn't and uh you know, you wouldn't ordinarily have done that, but I think that was a receipt for all the uh, targeting penalties. I think you could be onto something there. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I don't think Coach Day needed to apologize, but he's a class act. Um, yeah. Maybe that was a little gamesmanship. I think players. the apology like, I'm going to try him, to score, but I'm also going to just give you an apology to make it, you I know. I think the apology yeah. gives him cover for for the, the what I think is more of the rationale that they're going to target our players when this game's out of control. Well, you know, take that one with you. I think you might be onto something there, Steve. Great stuff as always from Steve Hellwagon. Thank you very much, Steve. And thank you to the listeners out there for tuning in to the show. I appreciate it. Have a great day, Bucknutters. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.